0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're listening to a TVO podcast.
2: There's a lot of people thinking about this collectively in ways that they haven't in the past. And so I think that's why that word is just flowering right now.
3: Hi, I'm Pippa Johnstone. And I'm Karina Palmatesta. And you're listening to Word Bomb, where we talk about one word per episode that's going through a moment of change. This episode's word is Anthropocene. Before we get into it, let's talk about the pronunciation.
1: Yeah, yeah. So how I said it was Anthropocene. Mm -hmm.
3: But then I also hear Anthropocene.
1: Yeah, and I've heard smart people say it both ways.
3: Okay, let's decide on one for today. Anthropocene. Anthropocene. Yeah, that feels right. Okay, good. So Anthropocene is this new word that a group of scientists have proposed to describe the geologic epoch that we're living in right now.
1: So to define... Anthropocene. Let's go back to middle school for a second. Uh, you're learning about geology. We're learning about, like, the Pleistocene and the Pliocene and the Holocene. Holocene. Yeah, those names that you had to memorize and order. And they describe these huge sections of time in millions of years. So right now, for example, we're officially living in the Holocene right. epoch. The name Holocene was derived from a Greek phrase that means entirely new. So the newest epoch.
3: Mm-hmm. And... You might be wondering to yourself, why would I care about how a bunch of geologists are describing sections of time? So the gist of it is that this group of scientists called the Anthropocene Working Group, the AWG, they want to ratify, so to officially establish, the Anthropocene as the epoch that we're living in now.
1: Mm -hmm. They say that the Holocene is over Mm -hmm. and that this new epoch is defined by the Earth's response to human activity. Hence the word Anthropocene. Which is derived from the Greek word anthropos, human being.
3: Yeah, like anthropology, the same prefix. Mm-hmm. And I feel <laughs> here like etymology gets a really bad rap for being dry. Uh-huh. But when you break down the word anthropocene, it's sort of like in the word itself is like a punch to the gut. Yeah. It's saying the driving force of the Earth's systems breaking down right now is us.
1: Uh-huh. But there are people who disagree with the word, who don't think that a new epoch, should be identified. And some of them are scientists. Mm-hmm.
3: So today we are talking about why the word Anthropocene matters, why it's up for debate, and backing out even further, why does it matter what words we use when we talk about the impact that we have on the Earth? Mm-hmm. But first, let's talk about the elephant in the room, climate change.
1: I, uh, no topic Fills me with more dread. Like, we've talked about a lot of heavy things on this show. And nothing has made me sweatier or more panic-stricken than researching, writing, and now speaking. (laughs) About climate change. About climate change.
3: (laughs) Yeah, definitely pretty (laughs) clammy-making.
1: We're, like, grinning at each other, and I think that is a testament to how... How anxious talking about this makes us. We're like, we're like looking at each other with huge smiles. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everything is bad. I'm terrified. I think it's a it's a really um, present anxiety for our whole generation. Totally. And I think a lot of people's response to it is to just not think about it because it's so incredibly overwhelming. How difficult it would be to even at this point mitigate or deal with some of the symptoms of what's going to happen in the next century.
3: One thing I think that helps people bury their heads in the sand when it comes to this topic is the coverage of Mm. climate change. I feel like a lot of the stories are made to be like really data heavy, really dry. We lack a lot of the human stories of climate change and branding. You know, the PR of climate change is something we're going to talk about today.
1: Yeah. So this feeling of dread, is a good segue. hmm mm-hmm. So let's back up to last fall, which would be fall 2018. So if you live in Toronto like Pippa and I do, you might remember seeing the word Anthropocene on a bunch of big, splashy ads on transit totally. and billboards around that time. And that's because it was the title of an exhibit at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Mm-hmm. And the AGO exhibit was one arm of a big multidisciplinary art project called the Anthropocene Project. And that also includes uh, films and virtual reality, school programs, a whole bunch of things all around the theme of the Anthropocene. Right. Did you
3: uh, go to that AGO exhibit? I didn't see it. No, Mm -hmm. I think I got back into town like two days before it closed and meant to make the effort and it just didn't happen. Yeah. So
1: I was in town the entire time that it was open. Uh Uh-huh. And I never went. I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I definitely want to go see that.
3: Don't you have an AGO membership? I
1: have. a. I could have gone for free so many times. (laughs) Um, And the reason that I didn't go is that I was so anxious at the thought of it that I kept on procrastinating and putting it off. Mm -hmm. I'd literally tell myself, oh, next week for sure. Next week for sure.
3: I wonder how many people are going to feel that way about clicking on this episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: I bet a lot. All this to say the experience was one of the big reasons I really wanted to do this episode because this kicking the can down the road, this feeling of avoidance around climate change is, is exactly one of the reasons why the Anthropocene Project exists. And that's why I met up with De Pontier, who's one of the three co-creators of the Anthropocene Project, along with Ed Bertinsky and Jennifer Bechwal. I actually confessed to Nick about procrastinating to the point of missing his exhibit at the AGO, and here's what he said.
2: The weight of that impending doom, the equivalent of the baby boomers generation in the Cold War, where students in classrooms did drills of what happens when the atomic bomb drops. And what does that do to your psyche, to be kind of always looking over your shoulder for the end of the world, basically, right? It feels like we're there again. And and that's a big weight for us doing the work. I mean, that's like a arrow in my chest, right? And it's heavy. It's a very heavy message. It's an act of hope. And in all of the places we went and we tried to infuse the work with these incursions of positivity and humanity and... If you lose your hope, you lose your humanity, I think. So we, we have to cling to that.
3: That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. So obviously Nick and his colleagues are pro-Anthropocene. They want Anthropocene to be ratified, right?
1: Yes. So this art project is in support of the Anthropocene Working Group's recommendation to ratify the word. Right. And Nick told me why the word Anthropocene caught their imagination and made the three of them launch this project.
2: And we just thought, what a amazing step back panoramic view of the human project in a way that we rarely get these days. We're we're bombarded with new crises to triage and solutions that look shiny for a while and then fade. And to take that big step back, we thought was a rare and precious opportunity. We've never been here in the whole human project where we sort of reach capacity in our uh, relationship with the earth and its natural systems.
1: Mm, hearing that is um actually giving me heart palpitations, but <laughs> uh let's keep talking. I do think there's a lot of um power in the simplicity of just taking stock the way uh Nick was saying Something that we talked about is how facts and figures tend to wash over you. Yeah. But a simple, really experiential moment can be a lot more powerful, which I think is a lot like the word Anthropocene. Like instead of sirens and news alerts, it's just one very powerful word that tells you everything you need to know about what's happening. Totally. Speaking of which, Nick actually told me how hard it was to even pitch their project under the title Anthropocene.
3: (laughs) It's not necessarily the sexiest word no it's not here's nick
2: it was a challenge for the whole project as we were trying to you know pitch it to broadcasters or whatever and i say like, well interesting but hope you're not married to the title because uh you know i don't think we can sell a film nobody knows what the word means what the title means so we're like yeah but that's that's kind of the point right and so part of our mission actually pretty early on became to evangelize that word and to, and to try and have it permeate the vernacular somewhat, and it has. So it was a challenge, but it's one that we took on mindfully, and I'm, I'm glad we did. When the, when the AGO, God love them, with their marketing budget, wrapped Toronto streetcars with the word Anthropocene, we did look at each other and say, okay, well, that's how you get that word out there. It's like marketing.
3: Yes, exactly. It is like marketing, right? I think about this all the time. Like from a layman's perspective, global warming is sort of bad marketing, right? People who don't believe in global warming, they look for warming. Uh huh. Even last winter, the Midwest went through this cold chill, and Donald Trump made that same tired mm. old joke. He tweeted, what the hell is going on with global warming? Please come back fast. We need you.
1: It's like the ultimate dad joke. It's awful. Before we called it global warming, I found out that the original term for it used to be inadvertent climate modification.
3: <laughs> I guess I shouldn't complain about global warming. Yeah, then.
1: isn't that uh, just the stodgiest thing you've ever heard? It
3: really fires you up.
1: hmm it was in the seventies and this is when alarm bells were being sounded about aerosol pollution and smog and stuff like that. Um, and at that point, scientists weren't sure whether aerosols would cool the planet or whether greenhouse gases would warm the planet. Okay. So they kind of chose this middle-of-the-road term because they didn't know which one would win out.
3: So they picked the most middling choice.
1: Yeah, they were hedging. Mm-hmm. And then the term global warming cropped up here and there in scientific writing pretty much since the 60s. But it really came into prominence in a 1975 article um, by a geo Chemist named Wallace Broker of Columbia University. The article was called Climatic Change Are We on the Brink of a Pronounced Global Warming?
3: So there he's using both climate change and global warming in the same sentence. Mm-hmm.
1: So by the late 70s onwards, it was clear that the earth was warming and not cooling, and the term global warming started to be common usage. But because climate change is more of an umbrella term, it just refers to any long term change. In the climate of Earth, where global warming is specifically about an increase in surface temperature because of rising greenhouse
3: gases. But people do sort of use them as synonyms in some ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're both valid terms. But the thing to keep in mind is that global warming is only one piece of the pie and climate change describes everything. Like uh, rain patterns at sea level or the extinction of flora and fauna, right. which all have huge consequences for the health of the planet and the future of us. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, like airing out my armpits as I speak. Um, and so climate change is a more all-encompassing way to refer to it.
3: I've also been reading advice that says that we should now be exclusively calling it like a climate crisis or a climate emergency. Mm-hmm.
1: Instead of climate change.
3: And that came up most recently in Canada when the federal liberals declared a climate emergency one day before the government reapproved the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, which a lot of people have been pointing out, is pretty hypocritical.
1: Yeah. Calling it a climate crisis does feel right to me. Like, it feels urgent, has some nice alliteration. The stakes are just so high with this stuff that I feel like we need to get it right Like, Nick and I talked about what it would mean just to ratify the word Anthropocene as an epoch.
2: It's an unprecedented moment for the geologists who get together every four years and have a conference and duke it out if they're going to move the Jurassic three million years because someone found a jawbone somewhere. The present day and humans is completely new. and, And one of the arguments is you kind of got to wait 10,000 years, don't you? So how do you apply them in modern day? And there's interesting psychology you could watch playing out behind that um because the scientists of the Anthropocene working group are all, you know, top top scientists, but they're also caught up in the momentum of Rome is burning. Uh, we shouldn't be shy about naming this.
3: So actually, it wasn't geologists who initially proposed the Anthropocene. I talked to Francine McCarthy and Martin J. Head, two Earth scientists at Brock University here in Ontario. Here's Martin telling me about the moment when the word came up for the very first time.
0: So uh, the Anthropocene actually came from the Earth systems community. And it was Paul Crutzen, who's a Nobel laureate in atmospheric chemistry, who realized that we had essentially gone beyond the envelope of natural variability of the Holocene. And he was at a meeting and people were talking about changes in the Holocene. And he got quite angry and said, we're no longer in the Holocene, we are now in the Anthropocene. And that resonated with people in the group. And that's very interesting, an interesting concept.
1: So how do they prove... That a new epoch is starting?
3: Well, okay. So this is a massive process, um, but it starts with this thing called, colloquially, a golden spike. Mm. So basically, each epoch is separated by a significant change in a layer of usually rock that's caused by a major geological event. So like an ice age or like a mass extinction, right? Mm -hmm. And this golden spike is a marker, like a physical representation on the Earth of that change between epochs.
1: So the major geologic event for the Anthropocene would be?
3: Well, that's a good question. It can actually be defined in a couple different ways. Here's Francine.
4: The one thing that happened beginning in the middle of the 20th century that had not happened previously is the nuclear proliferation that followed the Second World War and the testing of these atomic bombs left in The sediments around the world in ice sheets, cave stalactites, lake sediments, in ocean sediments, it left a record of that nuclear fallout and that all of these things happened because of a man-made thing, an anthropogenic thing. But from the stratigraphic perspective, we are interested in having one way to identify unequivocally that the changes that happen to the sediments of the earth the record of the earth can be identified and that we can place a time on that and we can all agree now and into the future that whatever date say 1950 whatever exact date is finally chosen in whatever site we can agree that that is the marker for a new epoch
1: and that's that's a pretty powerful thing So they don't actually know what the site of the Golden Spike for the Anthropocene is yet?
3: No, they haven't settled on it yet. Mm -hmm. And right now, there are 10 proposals for the Golden Spike site from around the world. And Francine has a proposal here in Ontario at Crawford Lake. That is in the running. Mm-hmm. She might hate me for saying this, but it makes me think of like Indiana Jones. It feels like there are like all these groups of scientists from around the world <laughs> racing to prove that their site is the best for the Golden Spike.
1: Oh, it would be, <laughs> it would be so cool if Ontario was was the Golden Spike. It really would. It I would mean, be. despite not knowing about this uh, very recently, I feel strongly about it now.
3: I feel incredibly competitive about this. Yeah, yeah, I do. On Francine's behalf. Go Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I say, her site is at Crawford Lake. This is in Milton, Ontario. It's just an hour from Toronto, actually.
1: So what has to happen before they decide which site is the Golden Spike?
3: Well, you can imagine something on this scale. It's a really long, drawn-out process. So. Right. There's a proposal and a committee vote and then another proposal and another committee and another vote. And it goes up and up and up the chain of command. And at any point in this process, the proposal can just get rejected. Right. I
1: guess it makes sense that it's hard to ratify something like this. If you do, every geology textbook in the world is suddenly obsolete. It's like an ocean liner turning around.
3: Right. But having that slow process in place when the subject matter feels this urgent Mm -hmm. would probably be so frustrating. Yes, yeah. But these Earth scientists are patient people. Martin mentioned that the word Anthropocene could be official in four years, which apparently is really fast in geological terms. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Here's Francine.
4: You know, it's like, it's like a band-aid, just rip it off. You know, I, I want to know yes or no. Uh, I'm willing to go flat out for a few years to work toward solidifying Crawford Lake's chances. So yeah, the four years, uh, it's gratifying, not just for the attention, but just because you'll get closure, you know? You're not waiting forever. But I do think it is important to have the word receive attention, not for us to receive attention because we're doing it, but for the word itself to receive attention, because it does draw attention to the fact that our species is sufficiently powerful to impact the way the planet responds.
3: And there's one thing about Anthropocene that I want to clarify before we go on. Mm -hmm. And that's that the word makes it sound like it's just about human activity on the Earth, but it's a bit more complicated than that.
1: Yeah, let's clarify this because this was really important.
3: So basically, the golden spike has to reflect a change in the timescale that it can apply to the entire world at the same time, right? But humans have been impacting the Earth long before the mid-1950s, which is the time that Francine was sort of pegging
1: the beginning of the Anthropocene.
3: Right. Right. And human activity has affected the Earth at different rates, in different ways. For instance, the Industrial Revolution. It happened at different times in different parts of the world. Everywhere in the world didn't industrialize simultaneously. So the idea that the Anthropocene is just about human impact on the Earth overall is wrong. It's about identifying the moment that the planet as a whole began to react to the human impact. Right. So it's more about the planet than the human
1: stuff. Which makes it kind of a misnomer in a way. Yes. All of this uh, sediment and uh, rock layer talk is (laughs) is really bringing me back to when we took... One earth sciences class together in undergrad? We sure did. We took oceanography. It was oceanography, but it was in the earth sciences department. Uh, I think it was EOSC
3: 300 level.
1: Yeah. Yeah, oh, what a bad idea. For some reason, we, we were
3: taking an arts degree, but yeah. we decided to take this like really challenging higher level. <laughs>
1: in second year, we took a third year level earth sciences course. And it
3: nearly killed us. Oh god. We bombed it. We bombed the test so badly. (laughs) Do you remember coming out of the exam? I remember the moment when I came out of the exam, I think after
1: you had. I was sitting on the steps waiting for you, like my head in my hands.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And I think I came out, burst out laughing so loud that our friend who was still sitting the exam heard us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we just rolled, like literally, I think it's one of the only times in my life that I rolled on the ground with (laughs) laughter because... (laughs) We didn't even have to say anything. We just we just knew how badly we'd done on that exam. Ooh,
3: so suffice it to say, this is not necessarily our, our wheelhouse. No,
1: it really isn't, but it should be everyone's wheelhouse. Now. A little bit more at least. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, We mentioned before that some uh, people, some scientists, don't think the Anthropocene should be an epoch at all. Right. So let's get into those arguments. There
3: are a few different criticisms we can summarize here. There's, for starters, this murkiness around when the Anthropocene might have begun. Some geologists say it should be dated way back to the beginning of agriculture. Whereas other geologists think that there hasn't been enough time on the geologic record to really come to a point of no return that maybe the Anthropocene is coming but hasn't arrived yet. The other arguments are more semantic or philosophical, kind of, the degree that we're in a new epoch but that Anthropocene is the wrong word for it. So, for instance, some people think that the word anthro puts too much blame on humans as a whole when the blame should be put on, say, corporations or political parties. So some people think that the new epoch should instead be called capitalocene hmm. to indicate that capitalism is the driving force behind the new epoch or Plasticine to say that we're in the age of plastic, mm-hmm. um, sort of saying that like the presence of petrochemicals in the geologic record would be that defining characteristic, that golden spike. Right. Martin had this to say about Anthropocene detractors:
0: uh, These arguments that I've heard uh, seem to be based more on emotion and upon nostalgia for the timescale as it is, nostalgia for the Holocene. And at the moment, we are still living in the Holocene, and people like it that way. There are some people who just don't like change, whether it's there or not. In this case, as far as I can see, change has already happened. You know, this is closing the barn door after the horse has bolted. We are actually in the Anthropocene, in my opinion, whether you like it or not. And I I don't think the arguments against the Anthropocene really hold water when you look dispassionately at the data.
1: Doesn't that feel so typical? (laughs) Like everyone's so comfy in the Holocene. Everyone loves it in the Holocene. (laughs) Yeah. But change is coming, whether we like it or not. It's already here.
3: The climate is changing.
1: Ugh. (laughs) I'm rooting for the Anthropocene. I'm rooting for Crawford Lake. Um, Now what I would really love is like a quote from Francine and Martin that says everything is going to be fine. Do you have that for me? I am so sorry
3: (laughs) to report that no. Um, In fact, the word irreversible actually came up in our conversation. Least favorite word. Mm -hmm. Here's Francine. I
4: think... From the perspective of climate change, the damage has already been done. It is largely irreversible. I think it could be slowed with the greatest will in the world. If everyone worked together to curb emissions of greenhouse gases starting today, it would slow down, but it's too late to reverse things. The important thing about... The definition of the Anthropocene from a geologic perspective is that a lot of people are paying attention to this and we geologists aren't used to most people caring what we're doing. (laughs) So the fact that a lot of people are invested one way or another is great. If it makes more people, people who aren't already convinced that we have had an indelible impact on our planet, So the word Anthropocene, getting the attention that it's getting is, I think, useful
3: in the long run. How are you doing, Karina? I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this stuff's pretty scary. Uh. But it's important to talk about and actually like face, I think. And I think this word really matters to help the general public understand more deeply that we have had an unprecedented effect on the earth. It's like, The biggest stakes PR campaign of all time. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's important as well for the scientific community to be on the same page with that effort so that the message is clear and it's unequivocal. Totally.
3: And there's one other thing that I wanted to say, which is that the word Anthropocene can sound kind of blamey. You know what I mean? Like, um, it sort of says that humans are at fault.
1: Which they are.
3: Yes. But... I kind of want to change our perception of this word a little bit to say that humans are in the driving seat. Mm. Like, we had the power to make this
1: huge change on the earth and we have the power to...
3: If not reverse it, mitigate it. Mm -hmm. Like Francine says, a lot of damage is already done. We know that. But there are so many other resources that we can still salvage or work to protect, like fresh water or cleaning up the ocean. Right. Yeah, it reminds me of something that Greta Thunberg says, the 16-year-old Swedish girl who sort of started the school climate walkouts. Mm-hmm. She says, when we start to act, hope is everywhere. So instead of looking for hope, look for action, and then hope will come, which is pretty good for a 16-year-old.
1: Yeah. I think whenever we have a heavy episode, we talk about teens right at the end of it. I feel
3: like we have a, <laughs> oh my God, a, yeah. a habit of doing that. Teens are great. It's true. So we always end the show with a land acknowledgement. And when it comes to topics about literally the land that we're on and the ways that we are hurting it or adversely protecting it, I think it's more relevant than ever.
1: Yeah, and so much of that activism in Canada and around the world is led by Indigenous groups protecting the lands that they first inhabited.
3: Totally. So with that... We'd like to acknowledge that our show is recorded on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation.
1: Thank you to Nicholas Depensier, Francine McCarthy, and Martin J. Head for their interviews. And thanks, as always, to Hannah Sung, Manager of Podcasts at TVO. And
3: to the others at TVO who make this show happen. Thanks for listening.